paying attention to uh, what has happened and continually the the, uh, the aftermath of of Hurricane Harvey and then what's going on or about to be happening uh, in Florida and what has gone through the Caribbean. So we want to pray. Amen. I mean, disastrous situations are never something that we want to happen. But I think we can see from Harvey that God can do miraculous things through disastrous situations. Amen. And so, and it starts with the prayer of God's people. So if you would just bow your heads with me, we just want to pray over Texas and over Florida. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. And Lord, we pray, Lord, with a tender, compassionate heart, God, for the aftermath of what's happened with Harvey. And Lord, we lift up the Gulf Coast, Lord. We're praying and asking, Holy Spirit, that you would go and invade everyone's hearts, that you would bring counsel, that you would bring comfort, Lord. You would bring strength and encouragement, God, that, Lord, you would bring about all different kinds of restoration, God. That's your business, God. You know how to restore, and we pray restoration of all sorts, Lord, over the Gulf Coast, Father. And, Lord, we're praying for Florida, God. Lord, if there's any way, and we know there is a way, because you are the miracle-working God. Lord, if there's any way, Lord, that there could be no fatalities from this hurricane, and that you could lessen Lord, what seems to be something that's uh, catastrophic, God, would you do it, Lord? We're asking, Lord, would you lessen the blow of it, God? And would you protect people, Lord? And even on top of that, Lord, Lord, as it rains and pours uh, a storm through Florida, we pray that it would rain and pour your good news, that your gospel would spread through that state as people have evacuated and into Georgia, God. Lord, we're praying through Texas and Florida that your kingdom would advance in people's lives, God. That they, Lord, through however they experience, whatever they experience, Lord, that their eyes and their hearts would be turned to you, Jesus. So, Lord, we are praying, Lord, here at Soma Church for your miracles to take place in the Gulf Coast, and in Florida. And we ask this in Jesus' name. If you would, put your hands together for our pastor tonight, Tony Herring. Wow, I kind of like that. We've never done that before. Can we make that a weekly thing? (laughs) Maybe some foghorns in here or whatever. (laughs) Thanks for praying uh, for all the stuff, Marvin. Hopefully you guys are really encouraged. And I know that we even have people here tonight um, who have evacuated from that area and that are in our service. So I think that that prayer makes, uh, you know, is even more special to them. And, and hopefully what I'm going to share tonight will even be an encouragement to you. You know that we're starting a new sermon series tonight called Reaching the Remnant. In this sermon series, we're going to be going through the book of Daniel. Uh, and we're not going verse by verse, but we're going to be touching down in certain areas. And I really just want to, I want to dive right in. So let me go ahead and give you this whole sermon and perhaps this whole series in one sentence. We may face a furnace of fire, but we will never bow down. Can I get an amen in the house? Does everybody know what a remnant is? Does everyone know? Raise your hand if you know what a remnant is. Not very many hands raised. Let me tell you, a remnant is a remaining, a small remaining quantity of something. 
Now that something could be anything. A a seamstress might use that word to describe leftover fabric. Or if you're wanting to cover a, a smaller area of flooring in your house or somewhere, you might look for a carpet remnant. Okay, so the idea of a remnant is that it might be left over, but it's not left behind. You guys see that? That it might be a small portion, but it's going to serve a big purpose. Now, my middle son, Cannon, is a remnant uh, virtuoso, okay? (laughs) Not only does he love a good remnant, he looks for the remnant of anything, Okay, he is by nature a creator. He's an artist. He is an inventor. My middle son, Cannon, is a visionary. He may find a remnant of something and get an idea for something big. Or he may have a a big idea for something and find remnants of things to fulfill his vision. Okay? And when creative canon gets passionate about something purposed in his heart to build, he will even create a remnant. He will find something that was created for one particular purpose, but somehow has been rendered ineffective, you know, useless. It's been thrown out. It's been tossed away. And he'll begin cutting on that part, that part that he believes will serve his vision. A great example of that are these. If I remember right, these, are, these have been labeled the most comfortable man flip-flop is the, is the actual title. And as you can see, you probably can't, this is made up of just about everything he could find in the house. And if I remember right, while he was making it, he caught eyes with my wife's exercise mat that's made out of that foamy stuff, you know, that makes it cushiony so you don't hurt your, your tailbone while you're doing whatever you're doing. And he was like, Mom, can I cut this thing up? And she's like, no, you can't cut this up. But he saw in that mat a remnant, or at least what he was going to make into a remnant, so that he could fulfill the vision of what he is calling Blue Panda, Most Comfortable Man Sandals. Okay? Now, I told Melissa I was going to do this, and she said, no, do, don't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I am, I am going, I'm taking bids for this sandal, okay? The bids start at $200. If you are interested in supporting Canon's creative career, you may bid, start your bidding at $200 and the blue panda sandals can be yours. <laughs> be on the market soon. Did y'all hear that? I'm telling you, he's an entrepreneur. Oh, Lord. Let me tell you very plainly, God loves a good remnant. God is always looking for a remnant. And because God is very passionate about his creations, what he's purposed in his heart to build, he will take a look at the available material and he will judge what is useful And what is not useful, and he will begin drawing his lines. He will begin making his cuts, looking for what will remain. By the way, what what are three things that Scripture tells us God is building? His kingdom, his church, and his people. Amen? 
I believe that we are living in the last days, that we're living in the end times. And just like the days of Noah, Genesis 6 says that God looked down and could hardly recognize the good thing that he had created. Man had become so corrupt. Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was continually evil and God was grieved. And he judged the entire earth. But first, he found a remnant in Noah's family. He saw a man that was obviously not perfect, by no means perfect. But it says that Noah was a righteous man. That Noah was blameless in his time. Can we say that together? He was blameless. It says that Noah walked with God. In the last sermon series we were in, the race, we might have said that Noah was someone who fought the good fight. Remember? That Noah and his family were people who ran the race in such a way as to win. That they were people who kept the faith. God found in Noah and his family a remnant of people that he believed would be useful in fulfilling his vision. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is talking and he says that the coming of the Son of Man which is another way of saying, when I come back the second time, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Just like the days of Noah. And then he goes on to talk about how people will be going about their business, not paying any attention, losing sight of who God is and what he's doing upon the earth. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3 said, and he's talking about end times, he says, first of all, I want you to know That in the last days, listen, some of you are distracted. You need to look because God's going to speak to you tonight. If you're looking any other way than this way, it's not good. That's what I'm trying to say. Peter says, first of all, I want you to know that in the last days, men will laugh at the truth. They will follow their own sinful desires. They will say, check this out. He promised to come again. Where is he? Since our early fathers died, everything is the same as it has been since the beginning. He says, but they want to forget that God spoke and the heavens were made long ago. Talking about creation. The earth was made out of water and water was all around it. Long ago, the earth was covered with water and it was destroyed. Talking about the flood. It's interesting that Peter says that there were two things that people will forget. Creation and the flood. Think about it. Both of those things are core to our faith. Romans 1 talks about um, what happens when we forget that God is the creator. You can go read it on your own time, but I can tell you this, we're seeing it all around us. Amen? And then think about the flood. The flood should remind us that we live in a moral universe and that sin doesn't go unpunished. God even gave a rainbow to remind us, right? To remind us that he wasn't going to destroy the world in this way again. But I don't know if you knew this. It doesn't say he wouldn't destroy the world again. It just says that he wouldn't destroy the world in this way. Peter goes on in verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 3 and he says, But the heavens we see now and the earth we live on now have been kept by his word. They will be kept until they are to be destroyed by fire. Of course, talking about that final judgment. It says that they will be kept until the day men stand before God and sinners will be 
destroyed. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 says that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. I love that. Only unshakable things will remain. God's going to judge the earth again. One last time. And listen, he's going to start with people. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking again, and he says, the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and his angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. The people of every nation will gather in front of him. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. The sheep, he will put on the sheep, sheep, plural, not sheeps. The sheep he will put on his right, the goats he will put on his left. Now remember what we, we heard in Luke 17, Jesus talking. When the sun, coming of the Son of Man comes, it will be just like the days of Noah. Talking about end times. He goes into chapter 18, Luke 18. Still talking about end times. Look what he says. When the Son of Man comes. Still Jesus talking. Still talking about the end times. He says, will he find faith on the earth? What exactly is he, is he looking for? He's looking for faith. On, what is he looking for? 1 Corinthians 4 tells us that God is looking for good stewards of the gospel. People who have kept the faith. These are the people who are going to be found faithful. Like Noah and his family. A remnant of people keeping the faith. I believe that he's already looking. Some of you are cutting up in this room. They may or may not be under the age of 20. What you don't know about me is I have been known to beat up kids under the age of 20. I'm just saying, if you are under the age of 20 right now and you are listening to anyone other than me, you are in biblical error and I will cut you. What was I saying? Oh, I remember. Listen, I believe that God is already looking, already looking for that Remnant. I believe God is already marking out the material. He's already drawing his lines. He's already sharpening his scissors, getting ready to make his cut. And eager to keep and use that which will remain. Because that small remnant will serve a big purpose. Amen? You do know where God starts, right? First Peter 4. The time has come for judgment. And it must begin with God's household. How many of you have heard all the crazy people talking about how Hurricane Hardy, Harvey is like God's judgment for all kinds of stuff? You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know about all that. I'm not called to judge, but what I am called to do is observe. I'm called to be observant, and I'm called to be a prophetic voice for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm called to remind God's people. Would you please put that bottle down? That is so distracting to me, and it's probably distracting. Hey, listen, can I pause and just tell you what I'm, what I'm telling you? The enemy does not want you to hear, and he's doing everything that he can. I'm not saying that, that Satan's using you, but he might be using you. So you guys clue in. These are critical times, and this is a critical message. It must be, because I never do stuff like this, do I? 
I just let the noises fly around the room. But I'm not tonight because I need you to hear what God has spoken. We're all called to be a prophetic voice of the gospel of Jesus. I'm called and you're called to remind the body of Christ not to forget creation and the flood and that God does deal with sin. And that he does start with his own house. As I observe, it's hard for me to ignore a hurricane of biblical proportions. That's what they're calling it. I've never heard that term used for a hurricane, but that's what everybody's calling it. Talking about Hurricane Harvey. Hurricane Harvey hits the most Christian nation in the world. Specifically hits what is at least perceived to be the most Christian state in the United States. But its focal point seemed to be, at least at the beginning, and I think all the way through, a town called Corpus Christi, which literally means the body of Christ. (laughs) And it floods the whole area. Everybody do this. It floods the whole area of a town called Houston. Now, Houston was named after Sam Houston. We know that. But Houston comes from two words. Hughes, town. So somewhere along the way, there's a guy named Hugh who had a town. I don't know Hugh. I wasn't there. But you know what Hugh means? Heart, mind, and spirit. Which is exactly what the body of Christ is supposed to love God wholeheartedly with. Now, I'm not writing the news. (laughs) I'm just observing. And I also observed a solar eclipse that drew hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million people from all over the place to South Carolina to watch a few minutes of something that you can only look at for a few seconds at a time. And you have to view it through something that'll help keep your eyeballs from melting. I mean, this is crazy, right? Everybody taking off work and doing this and traveling and spending all that gas money to go see this eclipse. I'm not saying it's not cool, but dude, everybody coming back like this, you know? (laughs) I observed that this eclipse took place on the first day of the sixth Jewish month of Elul, which begins a 40-day season of repentance called Teshuva that leads up to Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish holiday. You might know it as the Day of Atonement, which for them was like the Day of Judgment. You might remember that God sent Jonah to Nineveh to tell them that God was going to overthrow their city in 40 days unless they repent. You might remember that Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days while the people stayed below at the the base of the mountain repenting because they had worshipped that golden calf. Even Jesus himself said he was led by the Spirit to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried. You're translations may say one of those three things in the wilderness for 40 days. Jewish tradition, not so much the Bible, but Jewish tradition says that all three of those things, all three of those 40 days were actually the 40 days of teshuva. I don't know. I wasn't there, but that's what Jewish tradition says. Even in the days of Noah, there were 40 days and nights of rain 
That rain is what brought the flood that judged the earth. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading it. So you have these solar eclipses, you have hurricanes, you have floods, you have earthquakes, you even have fires. And not just in America, these things are everywhere. Even in Greenland. I heard there was a fire in Greenland. I'm like, Greenland? Greenland. Greenland, like massive record-breaking fires in Greenland. Scientists are uh, scratching their head because they're like, what? And a lot of these things are unprecedented, record-breaking events. That's why so many people think that this has to do with God's judgment. And maybe it does. Maybe God is marking out the material, drawing his lines. Here's what has my attention the most. In Luke 21, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, distress among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the power of the heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now your ears may have tuned into the distress upon the nations. You know, maybe you thought of, of politics or you thought about uh, the threats of war. Or maybe you thought about the explosion of, of recent racial tension, you know? Or maybe you just thought about all the injustices that are happening all across the globe. Or maybe the roaring of the seas and the waves seem to be the obvious attention getter in this verse because of all the hurricanes and everything else that's going on. But what stands out to me is it says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. I want to show you something in Revelations chapter 12. It says that there will be a great sign that will appear in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head, uh, at her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, I can't spend a lot of time here, but this is describing a very specific alignment of the sun and the moon and the stars. You can even show that, Becca, if you want to while I'm just talking about this. Thanks to some computer softwares that tell us exactly when a solar eclipse can and will happen and where we can watch it, we also know that the alignment, this alignment that we're talking about, hasn't happened since 3915 B.C., which is roughly the time that Adam and Eve would have walked the earth. It also tells us that this alignment is apparently supposed to happen on September the 23rd. Now there's a lot of people that saying that this sign in the sky means that Jesus is going to rapture his church on September 23rd. I don't know about all that. If he does, I'm rest to go. How about you? I don't know about all that. I do believe that this alignment is significant. Scripture tells us over and over again to be watchful, to discern the times. One of the things that God put in place for us to watch are the heavenly lights. Genesis 1 verse 14 says, The lights in the sky have been given for signs and seasons, days and years. The first thing it lists is signs. 
Jesus says that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. He goes on in verse 28 of that same chapter and he says, when these things begin to happen, stand up, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. That's good news. Amen? At the very least, this Revelation 12 sign is one of God's ways of letting us know that certain things are beginning to happen on the earth. It goes on in this chapter in Revelations, chapter 12, to say that the devil, the accuser of our brethren who accuses us day and night, has been thrown down to the earth. At the very least, this is describing a season before the end when the devil turns up the heat upon this earth. And really, God's people. It says, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice, everybody who's in, in heaven. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And as I observe the world, I'm thinking, man, something's up. Am I the only one in the house that thinks something's up? If you agree, say something's up. It's interesting that so many people are saying that the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the floods and the fires and all that stuff is God's judgment. And maybe it is. But I look at a verse like this and think, could it also be that the enemy has turned up the heat? And we don't have to be afraid because it goes on to say that they, God's people, overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? And then he says, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now, some of you may be here, especially if you're visiting, and be like, Tony, dude, chill. What is up with you? I thought we were going to be talking about the remnant. I thought we were being going, going through the book of Daniel. We are. You know, the book of Daniel really is a gift from God to his people. It really is. It was a gift that declares to God's people the time of the end. The book of Daniel contains some of the greatest end times pictures and prophecies in the entire Bible. Some would even say that it is an apocalyptic book, that it's an eschatological wonder. Eschatology means the study of end times because of how specific some of Daniel's visions about the end times are. So it's a declaration to God's people, the time of the end. But listen, it's also, it prepares God's people for the end times. A lot of people may not realize this, but what happens in, to the people in the first half of this book tells us exactly how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to respond in the last days. In fact, the stories may be more important than the prophecies. Why? Because Peter says in 1 Peter 4 that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, listen, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
Jesus in chapter 24 of Matthew said, at that time, many will fall away and will betray and hate one another. Does that sound familiar? And false prophets, many false prophets will rise and mislead many. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? It says, because of the multiplication of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's talking about believers. That's talking about the church. Christians who gather much like that, like us tonight. It says, the love of most of them, most of us will grow cold. And that really sounds familiar, doesn't it? And growing colder and colder by the day. And then he says this, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Now I'll be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure what Jesus means by that, but here's what I do know. Second Thessalonians chapter two tells us that in that season of history, there will be the apostasy. Your translation may say the great rebellion. Most of us know the term as the falling away or the great falling away. What causes this great rebellion? What causes men to fall away and to betray one another and to start hating one another, to be deceived by false prophets? What causes that? Let's back up one verse there in, in Matthew 24. In verse 9, it says, Then, y'all listen, then they will deliver you to tribulation. You'll be delivered to tribulation. And they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, at that time, at the time of tribulation, at the time of hardship, when you are hated by all the nations because of my name, at that time, Many will fall away from the faith. Trials and tribulations cause men to fall away. Are y'all listening? Hard times cause men to hate and betray one another. Persecution causes people to walk away from God. Now here's the good news. Jesus said many will fall away. He didn't say all. Yes! Many will fall away. Not everyone, not all. Many will fall away, but there will be those who will remain faithful. Those who will fight the good fight. There will be a remnant of people who keep the faith, just like in the days of Noah. But who will that be? I believe Peter tells us. Remember, he said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And then in 1 Peter 4, down in verse 12, he says, dear friends, y'all, y'all lock in with me. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will be, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. The remnant that God is looking for is made up of those who are willing to partner with Jesus in trial and tribulation. Those who are not surprised by dark days, but those who are prepared for them. Just like in the days 
of Noah. Not only should we not be surprised by the chaos around us, we should be prepared for it. I'm not talking about going and storing up water and buying ammo and all that stuff, although that's probably not a bad idea. So I'm not, you have my permission. (laughs) Can I borrow some? I'm talking about being like Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Noah walked with God. It says that Noah was blameless in his time. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the book of Daniel, what are the first, thing, first two things that pop into your head? Come on. What, when you think of the book of Daniel, what's the first two things that pops into your head? Lion's Den and the Fiery Furnace. Can I get a witness? <laughs> in chapter 6 of Daniel, Daniel kept praying to God after he was told not to. In chapter 3, three other young Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow down and worship a massive golden image set up by Nebuchadnezzar. We'll talk more about that. Listen to me. As forms of judgment, I know there's stuff going on, but listen. We're bringing it home. Heading towards the finish line. As forms of judgment, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel was thrown into a den of what? Lions. And the three other dudes were thrown into what? A fiery furnace, a furnace of fire. I want you to listen to me. It's interesting that a lion is used in scripture to describe both the devil and Jesus. First Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Revelations 5, verse 5 says, stop. He says, stop crying. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. That's talking about Jesus, right? That's interesting. Y'all find that interesting? I was like, when I thought about that, I was like, that's... it's also interesting that fire, in scripture, fire burns the faithless, but refines the faithful. Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus says, then he will say to those on his left, after he has separated the sheep from the goats, the ones on the left, the goats, depart from me, accursed one, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You do know that hell the fire wasn't prepared for us. Never says that anywhere in scripture. It says that it was prepared for devil and his angels. Anyone that winds up there is because they were faithless and not faithful. Can I clarify that? People are whacked out on that stuff. First Peter 1, 7 says, trials, trials test the authenticity of our faith. Our faith is being refined as fire refines and purifies gold. So the lion is either our devourer or our deliverer. The outward affecting of the fire 
depends on the inward working of our Savior. You guys see that? This is big news, isn't it? Are the storms and the quakes and the fires the judgment of God? Or are they the attack from the devil? I don't know. Both and? Either or? Either way. My responsibility is the same. I am prepared to go into anything partnering with Christ. I love what Daniel says. In Daniel 6, it says, At the first light of dawn, king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, because he actually liked Daniel. He wasn't really excited about all this. We'll talk about it. He said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue from the lions, rescue you from the lions? with a little echo on it, on the voice that came up from the hole or whatever. Daniel's like, dude, (laughs) my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Listen to me. They have not hurt me because I was found blameless in his sight. Noah was blameless in his time. Daniel was blameless in his time. My question for us tonight, and then I hope you will go and ask and poke and prod your friends and your family, are you blameless? Are we blameless in our time? And I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They had a little attitude on theirs. (laughs) they said if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand but even if he doesn't we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In other words, we may face a furnace of fire, but we will never bow down. Amen? These are the words of people who are prepared for the fire. These are words of people who are partnered with God. This is the heartbeat of a remnant. We will keep praying when they tell us to stop. We will stand our ground. In fact, stand right now. We will stand our ground when they tell us to bow down. Amen?